welcome to the latest edition of the uh, Lawrence University Career Center podcast. I'm Ty Collins, and today I'm honored to be joined by retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General William Troy. After spending 38 years in the Army, he became the CEO of the American Society for Quality and is currently a consultant and board member with Meridian Leadership and Strategy. Uh, recently, he was the featured speaker in the Pavonli Lecture Series here at Lawrence. General, it's really great to have you here today. Yeah, thanks a lot, Ty. I'm very happy to be here, and, and uh, I, I certainly enjoyed my uh, visit to Lawrence, so I'm, I'm happy to talk to you. All right, thank you so much. So my first question today is, uh, you've had a very uh, impressive and accomplished career. It's kind of hard to know where to start, so I guess we'll begin with your career in the military, 38 mm-hmm. years in the U.S. Army. I'm sure you've experienced a lot. Can you tell us mm-hmm. about your military service? Yeah, uh, so I graduated from Racine High School in 71. I graduated from West Point in 75. And and then I sort of had a very typical Army career. Uh, I was an infantryman. So I did all the normal sort of infantry things, platoon leader, company commander, operations officer, things like that. Most of my time at the, uh, what we saw, the tactical level, the lower level of the Army um, was spent either with the paratroopers in the 82nd Airborne Division uh, but I also had time with the uh, what we call mechanized forces from Fort Hood, Texas, and that's obviously working more with tanks and stuff like that. I deployed to Desert Storm uh, as a major, and then as you as you get more s- senior in the military, you end up being in Washington more. So I had a, a number of tours in the Pentagon, and then the military is very good about educating and, and training you. So. I've had, uh, I went to the British Army Staff College. I was like an exchange officer for them. I was fortunate to have a, a year at uh, Harvard as a, at the Weatherhead Center for International Affairs. And I've been to the Naval Postgraduate School and the Naval War College. Uh, so I've had uh, a taste of that as, as well, uh, the other services. So I feel absolutely blessed that I had a, a good career. Um, I had some wonderful opportunities, and it, our, 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 for a long, long time, our, our life revolved around the military, and it was a, it was a good life. Well, I did want to uh, mention this, that you were working at the Pentagon on 9-11. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. So th- this was, I don't know, maybe my second tour at the Pentagon, and one morning, I would, you know, I was getting a briefing on a... <laughs> A very technical subject, um, which it was, uh, I recall, because it was really one of those deep technical things, and I was having you know trouble following all of it. When, of course, there was the you know loud explosion and kind of uh, knocked me from where I was sitting at a table into some out of my seat and into some chairs that were on the side of the room. Um, certainly didn't get hurt or anything like that. And of course, we had no idea what it was. They were doing some construction. And so some of us thought, well, maybe they've had a terrible accident, you know, at the construction site or something. So as we walked out of the conference room, one of the guys had a TV on and it, and it showed um, the Twin Towers in New York City. And so then we just sort of slowly started putting it together, um, what was going on. And then we immediately started to evacuate. The, the uh, smell of uh, smoke was kind of getting strong. And 
there was no panic or anything like that. I would emphasize that everyone just, you know, got up and filed out outside the building uh, very orderly and as it should be, you know, we were certainly a, a mix of military and civilians, but, all, you know, most of the civilians have military background as well. And it was very orderly uh, to get outside the building. And soon I was on the side, I was like one side over from the Pentagon where it was hit. So as soon as we got outside, we could see uh, where the plane hit. You know, the, immediately we knew like this could not be a car bomb or a truck bomb because it's just too big. I mean, it was just huge. And then the, the fire was uh, just building and it was pretty intense. The military folks just, you automatically revert to your military training. That just happens. And so it was a matter of getting accountability for everybody. And then uh, people with uh, medical backgrounds started setting up triage points. We started forming casualty uh, collection teams, litter teams, did what we could to help, which was actually very little. I mean, some people did manage to get back to the building and pull some people out. I, I did not. I was on a litter team and we were kind of poised to, to go in and pull out people if should that be necessary. But that fire was just incredibly intense. Uh, while we were outside, we heard there was another plane en route, and that turned out to be the plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. And at some point, the local authorities, uh, the police, told everyone to you know, take take shelter. And we all, you know, the people I was with, took shelter underneath the bridge because we expected this second plane to come. So, and then it was just a matter of the local authorities and the fire department, all all that stuff, uh, trying to put fire out and. Then I guess the next notable thing was the word kind of spread through the chain of command that uh, the Secretary of Defense, Secretary Rumsfeld, had put out a very firm edict that everyone would be back to work the next day, whether you had a place to work or not. So we were in the didn't have a place to work, (laughs) but everyone was expected to be back. And I think that was his way of saying this attack is not going to change what we're doing by any means. And we're going to continue our work, you know, defending the country. Um, so we came back the next day. We had uh, field tables, you know, as a sort of portable tables set up in hallways. As, you know, somebody found some phones. It, it didn't make for an, an efficient work environment, but that wasn't really the point. The point was to, to be back working. And then from that day on, I would say, Ty, there was a, a certainly a sense within the Pentagon that th- this was going to be the start of a of a of something different because our, our country would never would never stand by and let something like that happen. So everyone expected, you know, we're a defense department, everybody expected, okay, well, well we we're certainly going to have to do something to respond to this. Yeah. As uh, someone who you know, was watching it all on TV, I can, I can still remember distinctly every event of that day. So I can imagine actually being part of it. It's burning your memory as if it happened yesterday, I would imagine. My son was in middle school at the time in Virginia. I was really proud of him, um, even though he bent the school rules a little bit. He figured that um, he needed to be home with uh, his mom. And so um, he, he just told he told the teacher, I, I need to get home. And, and she said, okay, go by the attendance office. I don't think that stop was ever made, but he did make it home so he could be with, with my wife during that time. Yeah, and I'm sure your family was really worried about you and, and guessing phone calls yeah, weren't, yeah. weren't happening immediately. So No, it was, yeah, you couldn't really get a call in and all that stuff. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. 
So the military is not a common destination for Lawrence students. What would you say or how would you persuade a student to consider a career in the military and, and the benefits that would go along with it? I think the military is a terrific place for people to start out their professional lives. Whether or not you intend to spend a career in the military, it really doesn't matter. Many, many people who uh, never intended a career in the military end up spending one because they find the work rewarding and challenging. And, and many people who at one time thought about career decided at some point that you know, they probably want to go on and try something else. And that's good too. But it's, it's a great place to learn about leadership and all that that entails. You know, what does it mean to lead people? The great thing about military, and I think this is regardless of whatever branch of the military you're in, you get a, a lot of responsibility quite early on. You become a platoon leader, you're, you're a pretty young guy. And you've got 25, 30 people looking directly to you for, for guidance and leadership. And that's a lot of responsibility very early on in your life. It's also a, a great way to serve your country. We all love this country. And for those of us who have the capacity and interest in defending it, it's a very rewarding life. And then I'd say, finally, there's something about military service that just lends itself to making what I consider lifelong friends. And it's, I think, that feeling of a shared sacrifice. You bond with people and I've got friends from my earliest days in the military who are still my friends today. Um, it, that, that aspect, I think, is, is a really wonderful part of being in the military. Um, and and I, I don't think it happens as much in the civilian world because in the military, you just had that sense of uh, shared sacrifice that tends to bring people together. And we are talking with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General William Troy on the Lawrence University Career Center podcast today. So after your service, you moved on to run the American Society for Quality. Can you tell us about that transition from military to civilian life and then maybe a bit more about what that job actually involved? Well, I'll start with the transition, Ty. I think probably most people who have spent as much time in the military as, as I did do have a, a time. It, it takes an, it's an adjustment. It's an adjustment to the civilian world. I, I remember shortly after I retired, I, I got in my car to go someplace, just run an errand or something. And I remember thinking, oh, I better tell somebody where I'm going and how long I'm going to be gone. Because I, ha I had just come out of one of those jobs where, you know, you were sort of on call, mo you know, all day, just, mm -hmm. just the way things were. It was one of those kinds of jobs. It, and then after I, I paused for him, I said, no, you don't really have to worry about that. Those, <laughs> those days are over now. And it just it's just a matter of getting used to things. Most guys who had been in the military as long as I have tend to gravitate towards uh, defense industries, which makes a lot of sense because you have knowledge about how things work in the military and that knowledge can be valuable for companies that, that work with the military, that produce military equipment and such things. And I think that might've been a possibility. I, I did talk to some guys about that, but what I really wanted to do was something that would capitalize on my leadership experience and my experience developing strategy. You know, this opportunity came, a recruiter out of the, kind of out of the blue called me and somebody had given him my name and he had me come in and just talk for a few minutes. And then I went through the normal interviewing process with the folks at uh, the American Society for Quality, ASQ. And I was fortunate enough to get that job. 
It was uh, an adjustment for sure. Everything from how people in the business world address each other, you know, everything's on a first name basis, how you dress, things like that. Those are minor things. But but the leadership principles, I, I, I felt then and I still feel today that the leadership principles, good leadership is good leadership. People are people. They want and need good leadership, have every right to expect it, whether it's in the military or in, in a civilian workplace. I tried to bring that, though I did have to pay attention to the, the civilian context that I was working in. You know, there are aspects of the military context, which are just part of being in the military. I mean, it's the kind of leadership at times that can be very direct. And that's when you're in an emergency situation in the military, people are going to be barking out orders and, you know, that's just normal stuff. That's usually not the situation in the civilian world. And it's not the most productive way to to be a leader. You have to pay attention to context. I tried to do that. I think I learned more and more as I went along and I had good people to, to help me do it. I had, I had a very wonderful chair of our board who was himself a really good leader and, and I had a good staff as well. And as far as American Society for Quality, it's a, it was a professional association for people who work primarily in manufacturing and they work as like quality auditors and quality engineers, efficiency experts, and it was primarily in the manufacturing sector of the economy, but also in uh, healthcare was certainly an important sector. Uh, education was another. So it, it was fun to learn about about what they did and, and about the extensive training that they went through. And we, as a, as a professional association, offered training and certifications for those kinds of things. And that was our business. We had small offices in China, India, uh, Mexico, Dubai. So I got a little bit to taste kind of that international business, how, how international business works just a, just a bit, which I, I, I really enjoyed that. And I certainly enjoyed getting to know the members. They, they, were, they were terrific. I hadn't uh, thought about it until you just mentioned it before. And in terms of making that transition from military to civilian, you, you probably for the first time had to go out and buy your own suits. Yeah, yeah I had to, <laughs> had to decide how to dress every day. The, Ar- the Army always had some really good recommendations for me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk, and you, you, you touched on this in your last answer, so let's pick up on that. Um, in your many years in leadership roles, what are some key things you've learned about being a good leader? And specifically, what are some things you think a graduating senior would be or should be aware of as they enter the workforce? A few, I'll say three things. The first I, I touched on, good leadership is very cognizant of context. So the leadership that, let's say, is at Lawrence in, uh, say, a department head or in the school's administration. That is a context in which good leadership has to take place. The kinds of people that you're working with, the kinds of decisions that you're making, the kinds of time pressures you're under, all of that goes into the the context. And I think that good leadership is always kind of testing the conditions and trying to figure out, okay, what's, what's most appropriate for these people in these conditions with the tasks and missions that we have to do. It's not one size fits all. The principles, yes, of course, things like integrity, 
you know, and ethics, all that. No, that doesn't change. But good leadership does pay attention to what's going on in that ecosystem and who are these people, what do they bring to the table and what do they need? So context, I think, is the first thing I would mention, Ty. That's, that's really, really important. The second thing I would say is the mature leader, and it doesn't matter the age, but a mature leader has the ability to think about what, what does this problem or this challenge look like to my boss? You can think a level above. A less mature leader sometimes will advocate a position or a solution or a course of action, which might be ideal for him or her, but it, it, but it doesn't take into account your boss's perspective, your boss's aim, and his, his needs or, or her needs for the whole organization. And then I guess that the final thing I, I, would, I would just say, and it, it may sound um, self-evident, but having respect for the people who work for you and with you is hugely important. I mean, I can't overemphasize it. And I have all long thought this about soldiers. They're actually very forgiving people if they're treated with respect. And, and that includes, of course, you know, honesty. Because as a leader, we're going to make mistakes. That, that's inevitable. But if you're treating people with respect, regardless of their position, regardless of their tenure, if they're the guy who just walked through the door yesterday, if they've been there 25 years, everyone must get treated with, with respect. And if you can do that and, and act that way, not just say the words, but, act, but in your actions, then you're going to have a lot easier time making your team uh, work the, the way you want it to work. So I, I would say those three things are perhaps things to think about. That's all really great advice, which makes me want to ask this question. That is, what is the best advice you've ever received? I don't know if it's the best advice, but but it is advice that I've remembered now for somebody gave me this, uh, a leader that I just you know admired and, and grew to be very close with over the years. He was a demanding leader. He had very high standards, but one thing he really worked hard on and he kind of showed me and also talked to me about it was thanking people for the work they do for you. He said, you know, we would be, we actually, one time we went down, actually down to our motor pool in Germany. It was a cold day and people were working really hard, but he went down there to be with them just to thank them because they were, it was a cold day. They were working hard and he wanted he wanted them to see that he knew that they were working hard and he wanted wanted to thank them. And he he really emphasized to me how important it is that we we thank people for what they're doing, because it's very easy in the in the rush to get things done and get on to the next task or the next mission. We forget to do that. And no matter how much you think you're doing it, probably the people who work for you don't think you're doing it enough. That's just how life is. <laughs> If, if you make it a point of emphasis and really try to ask yourself at the end of the day or at the end of the week, have I, have I thanked the, the people around me for what they do? It'll actually, it's a small thing, but it's actually an important thing. It'll go a long way to making um, your, your work a lot better, I think. Yeah, small, but important and, and easy to do. So I like to end our podcast on a lighter note. So after you left the military, you were asked to work on a TV series pilot for a while. Can you share yeah. a little bit about that experience? 
<laughs> that was a, a lot of fun. And a friend of mine who's a, a journalist connected me uh, with a writer who uh, had a wonderful idea for uh, like a mini series or a, a television pilot. And she kind of modeled it after sort of a, a Shakespearean kind of, you know, two families that are friends and rivals and, and, and all that. And she had a brilliant idea. The only thing she lacked a little bit of uh, knowledge about how the military actually worked uh, and the, the, the language. And so I was able to uh, work with her on that. And she was she was a wonderful writer and it was a, a great idea. And so she would do the, you know, the hard work, but then she would come across something like, okay, how would one general say this to another general, you know, in, in, in this context? And if they were in the Pentagon or if they were out in, during some operation, you know, all, all that kind of counts. And can you, and she, she would ask me to help with the dialogue a little bit and, and we would exchange ideas about things that might happen and might be, might be interesting to explore. But what I learned was a lot, a whole lot goes into the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> to, okay. And to make it, um, you know, something that will be attractive, I guess, to the to the people who would pick it up, you have to you got to pack a lot of stuff into that pilot. And I jokingly said to her, by the time we were done, like, I, I'm not sure how much is left, you know. <laughs> but it, it was great. It, it, it is a victory when the pilot actually gets made because many things are proposed that don't get made. Ours did get made. It did not ultimately get picked up yet. But these things can change. So, <laughs> I, especially now with all the streaming services, I'm 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 waiting to hear that it's gotten picked up by somebody. So I was just going to say the same thing. It was a great experience. <laughs> with all the channels and streaming services, someone's got to want it, right? Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. I think it's I, I think it's just a matter we have to we have to make sure it gets known a little bit. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant General William Troy, thank you for joining us today on the Lawrence Career Center podcast. Ty, thanks very much. I've really enjoyed it and, and best of luck to you.